Good morning, Connection Church. Everyone this morning, it's good to see you and everyone online. Of course, we want to say thank you for joining us and Pastor Curtis in the mountains. Um, hope you, hopefully you're enjoying, <laughs> ready for you to get back though. Um, but be safe and hopefully you're having a great time. Continue to pray for Pastor Curtis and Allison. I know he's praying and visioning over this next year, this next semester, and I know he's going to come back with an awesome message series, and I'm already looking forward to it. And I'm really looking forward to today. I'm really moved with excitement to bring you part two of our little series that Pastor Josh kicked off last week, which is titled Chaos to order, chaos to order. And today I'm titling this one, the part two is called The Upside Down. Um, Joshua, his word was so good. Let me tell you, and if you did not hear last week's message from Pastor Joshua, please go back and listen to it. He did an amazing job with providing so much material and putting it into one message. And he, did, and he really spoke it very clearly and about our, spirit, our uh, spiritual disciplines and how, how, what that looks like, looks like in our lives and how we need to break that down. So really go back and listen to that. Today and the next week, we'll be breaking down that message a couple more to really home in a few of the areas that we really need to pay attention to. Because chaos, like he said last week, appears in many different, what, many different forms for different reasons. Sometimes, Josh said, that we are the cause of our chaos. Sometimes we're just an innocent by, innocent bystander. We can be living a life of order, then suddenly something happens. Chaos is going to happen when we just honestly can expect it to happen. And then Joshua told us that in the beginning, when you look at a few of the words and read what the Greek says, it was said that in the beginning there was chaos And then what did God do? He spoke into the chaos and brought order. And all throughout scripture, that's what we're always seeing is God moving his people from chaos to order. And all of us have experienced chaos. Maybe you're this morning experiencing chaos. For those of you with little babies, the crying in the middle of the night, randomly at a restaurant or in the store, and that really loud scream suddenly brings chaos in your life and to those around you. Uh, Maybe you have the chaos of financial issues. Randomly, you get the phone call and realize that you forgot to pay a bill. Now you're getting close to being shut off or having car issues. I will tell you, church, that I am a living testimony of chaos this week because I felt like this word, this message today is a testimony just from my week because Monday I came into the office feeling really good about the week, excited to work on this message. 30 minutes into the day, my wife is calling because she's broke down in the parking lot of TJ Maxx. And I had to go and it was hot Monday morning and I was crawling underneath the car, FaceTiming a mechanic to tell me what to do because I'm not a mechanic. Obviously, look at me. <laughs> and then it happened again the next day. For two days, it's so frustrating when our our cars are not working. Like I said, we get the late notice bill, the air condition breaks, and all these things are simple fixes, but why does it always happen in the same week, right? And then maybe the chaos that you cause your own of home renovations. You always plan for it and prepare for it and think it's going to go so smooth. It doesn't. And so when you do your home renovation, just don't. (laughs) But when this happens, when chaos seems to 
overtake us, and out of nowhere, bang, we get hit with chaos. It's like you don't even recognize yourself in these moments because when the ceiling starts falling in, you begin to feel pain. You feel unsafe. When I talk to my wife about that, she says, it seems like when things happen and chaos hits in one area, it just spills over into the rest of the areas of our lives, right? You can go to the grocery store and then you're just feeling unsafe. It rolls into your marriage with your spouse. You can come to church and still not even really open up to your family, to your friends because of something chaos that's happening in one area of your life, but yet it's rolled over into this part of your life and it's rolled over to this part. So then you start asking yourself, how can this be my story? Everything was going so good that I'm nowhere chaos happened. This can't be my story, God, because I have a feeling of unrest in my soul, unrest in my life. I'm staying up. I'm I'm thinking about whatever it is that I feel like is chaos in my life. Maybe for you, it's the chaos not in your life, but it's in your children's life as a parent. You feel pain. You feel uncertain in all aspects of your life. And so that's where we find ourselves not even recognizing and asking God, why is this my story? But church, I want to stand up here and go ahead and give you truth, a foundation about our God. We'll read in Matthew chapter 9 of a woman who was experiencing chaos for 12 years, who was experiencing bleeding for 12 years. And because of that, the tradition of that time was to remove her from the city and exile her to the outside of the city because she was unclean for 12 years. Think about chaos. Sometimes we have seasons of long, drawn-out chaos. This woman was fully experiencing it. But then she heard of this Jesus was coming into town. And so she, feeling completely unsafe with everyone that was still exiling her, she said, I'm going to do something. And she goes to Jesus. She's fighting through all the men and thinking, if I can just touch his robe, I can be healed. And that's what happens. She breaks through all of the insecurities, all the feeling unsafe of people because of the people who exiled her, right? But she had to go through that, and she touches Jesus' robe, and she's healed. And the chapters leading up to Matthew 9 are some of the most profound theological words you'll ever read in the New Testament, which is the Sermon on the Mountain. And then Jesus... Afterwards, walking with the most religious people, the people who you know who has it right, who are experiencing no chaos in their life, right? The most religious, surrounding Jesus, falling with him. In that one moment, what does he do? He turns around against the current. He turns around. And you wonder why, do you know why the woman didn't instantly reveal herself? Because she was convinced that Jesus would be upset. that he would reject me, that he would take me according to the law. And for many Christians, we're unwilling to turn around either back to God, to his presence, or to the church, because they are convinced that there will be judgment, that there will be rejection, and there will be condemnation because of the chaos in their life. When in fact, the opposite is true. Because of his grace and your small measure of faith, God is adamant and passionate about revealing his acceptance and approval of you. Another story of another woman in John 8. Jesus was teaching 
to the most, again, to the most religious, to the people who don't have chaos in their life, right? And they bring in a, a woman and said, Jesus, this woman was a caught in adultery and throws her there, says, the law says to stone her. What do you say we should do? And then what does Jesus do? You guys know this. He says, he who without sin throw the first stone. And then what does he do? He gets in the dirt with her. Gets, he gets, bends down and starts drawing in the dirt. He gets in the dirt with us, church. In the midst of our chaos, Jesus gets in the dirt with us and removes all the accusations against you in your life. And he becomes your healer. He becomes your hope, your restoration, the order in your chaos. So yeah, chaos is my story. So we need to change our perspective, the way we say it and talk about the chaos, and not say, this can't be my story. But instead, this is my story. Because chaos is only a part of the story. Sorry. I'm super excited about today's message. Because <laughs> I tell you what, just last night I was, I was praying over it. I was thanking God for the testimony because of the chaos I've already experienced this week. And yet, through all the chaos of this week, I felt so at peace. A story I have for you all this morning. It's a funny story. So last month, my family and I, my, my wife, my kids, and my mom and dad, we went up to Colorado to Fun Valley to meet my sister and her family where they stay in Fun Valley for extended time throughout the summer. And while we were there, since we went early, the river was still high, so we can float the river this year. The last time we went, we went later on in the summer, and the river was kind of low, so we didn't get to float it. So for a full day, all the kids were saying, when are we going to go float the river? And of course, I didn't want to because the water's cold right? The mountain water is freezing, so I didn't want to. But finally, I said yes. And my son, my nine-year-old son, he wanted to go. So we got two rafts, and we carabined them together. We got ropes and carabiners, and we put them attached to them so I can go with my son because there was areas that it was going pretty fast. I was scared. And so then we started going down, and we're having fun. Of course, I'm like trying to lift myself off the tube because the water, it was cold, church. And then we would hit a rock and bounce off and then hit this. We'd go underneath these bridges. And it was really lots of fun. I was really enjoying it. But then the rock showed up. And there's this one rock that's bigger than the others, and it was kind of sloped up. And then the whole, all the water was, like, directed right towards that rock for, rock for some reason. And, I'm, of course, I'm sitting there. We're going to it. And like I said, normally we would hit a rock and bounce off. Well, this time we split the rock. And I don't know if it was like the current started taking Jude first or mine, but because we were attached, the tubes are taking, the currents are taking one of the tubes, and I went straight up on that rock feet first. Next thing you know, I'm upside down in the water. And I, as soon as I went underneath the water, I hit my back on the rocks. So immediately I felt pain on my spine. And then I felt water going in my nose and my ears and all what they say about the currents and rafting and how the water will take you, I experienced that. And it is scary. <laughs> I just felt the current taking me. And the thing about it was weird is that I could not move. My dad tells a story how my feet were actually out of the water for a long time. <laughs> he just saw my feet, nothing moving. But all I could think is like, wow, it's taken me, and I'm in a lot of pain, and water's going everywhere. This is scary. 
out of nowhere, right, church? I was in order, and now I'm in chaos because now I'm flipped upside down. And I, then I remembered thinking, Jude, I'm underwater. Surely he's underwater. So I had to fight the current and push myself up and get out of the water. And then I see Jude. He was in the tube. And then I see my dad a little bit too far. He was a little bit behind us. Both their faces were like this. And then they saw me. And then the laughter came out. <laughs> And then I looked over, and there's cabins along the river, and there's people right there, and they're all laughing at me. I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. But in one moment, I was in order, having fun. The next thing you know, I'm flipped, up, flipped upside down in chaos. And remember last week, Pastor Josh said this, the choices you make are the most spiritual thing you will do today. But the choices you don't make matter even more. And in your chaos, you get to make a choice. The choice that you make determines your next step. Because in that moment of chaos, I was in pain. I felt the water taking me, and I was pushed under. But I had to make a moment if I was going to sit in it or if I was going to have to get up. In John chapter 5, if you'll turn your, turn your Bibles over to John chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, of course, we have a really ginormous Bible above me there on the screen. But starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for, the, <clears throat> Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool. Now this pool was a healing pool. And it's said that when the water would begin to move, it was like touched by an angel and the water was stirring for healing. And if you would jump in the water and had faith, you'd be healed. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. For who was there was, had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there, he, leaned, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And then he asked him, do you want to get well? I highlighted those words, and I underlined them. See, we all need to ask ourselves sometimes. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because for many of us, sometimes this guy was sitting there for 38 years. And Jesus asked, hey, do you even want to get well? And then it says, he responds this way. Well, sir. The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So right here automatically sounds like he's serving the God of flesh, which is the God of comfort, the God of pointing to others. 38 years of sitting in his own misery, and it's not even he's not even going to take responsibility, but instead what's well, their fault they're the reason I'm in this chaos. They're the reason why I'm in this situation. I'm trying to get to the water, but they get there in front of me. They cut me off, and they make it hard for me to get up there. Church, I will tell you, you can't play the blame game and expect to win in life. A fence is a killer. Holding a fence towards somebody will be a hindrance in your life between you and that person, and not only between you and that person, but between you and God. Because what does Jesus say? To forgive as I've forgiven you. And if you hold an offense towards somebody, you're not forgiving them, and then you're really not forgiving yourself. And this is the other biggest offense, I think, is even worse. Offense toward yourself. 
right? Something happens. You get hit upside down, and now it's someone else's fault, right? Or then because of something you did, and now you're blaming yourself. One big indicator for me of self-offense is a gossip, Because what we'll do is we try to get the shame light off of me and then onto somebody else. Because here, here, we need to look at this real fast. Man, at the Bravehearts, we really teach on this. And the uh, Men of Honor teach on this as well. But the difference between guilt and shame. Let's look at the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something wrong. And shame is I am the wrong. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my daughter, and I was discussing with her something that she, she had done. And then after a while, I stopped and said, hey, let me remind you, though, what I'm telling you is just something that you did. But what you did, this is not you. But so often, that's what we do as Christians. We'll, have, we'll make a mistake. We'll have chaos in our life. And automatically, we feel guilt. Really, because the law, the law is supposed to, guilt, is supposed to convict us to realize that we've done wrong, turn to Christ, but instead we hold on to it and let it become our identity. And then when we let it become who we are, then we're walking in shame. And to me, a good example of a person walking in shame is a soccer player. <laughs> I don't like soccer, so I'll say, yeah, if you like soccer, I'm sorry. But then they'll say, they'll get hit, and they're like, oh, and then they get down and roll down the ground. Look what you did. I'm hurt, right? We get over... <laughs> Sorry, but we overexpress it, and now, oh, now I'm really hurt. I'm really hurt. And the thing about it is, the world wants to keep you there, church. The world wants to keep you here, feeling I am wronged. But like Josh said last week, where do you get your truth? Because remember, Jesus gets in the dirt with us, and He tells you, "Hey, the shame is not your story. This is not who you are." If we finish in John chapter 5, Jesus' response was this. Then Jesus said to him, get up. (laughs) Get up. What it says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got up. So the first point I would have to tell you is get up. Proverbs 24, verse 15, it says this. Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. Let me stop right there. Verse 15 right here is a warning. It's a warning to the world, to the evil one, saying, hey, do not lurk around the righteous. Do not lurk around this house. Try to plunder their things. It's a warning. And then number six, verse 16 is a promise which says, though the righteous man falls seven times, they will rise again. 15 is telling them, hey, telling the world, hey, you better not lurk around here. I know you might have got them to stumble but you're not going to win this one because for a righteous one, my righteous one, he's going to stand back up. And church, that's for you to this morning, for each and every one of us. Even though you fall, get back up. For the righteous one, no matter how many times they fall, you get back up. Get up physically, to get up mentally, to get up spiritually. And then we'll move to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this, Then trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Key word, he will make your path straight. God will take the 99 steps. You only have to take the one. 
Why is it that all of a sudden, when chaos hits in our lives, whenever we make the mistake, kind of like we hear Pastor Curtis talk, we feel like we're climbing the ladder of righteousness, and then we stumble, and it's like we fell all the way off the ladder. And then to make up, we have to take all the 99 steps, and that we have to make our path straight to get back onto the righteous path again. But the opposite is true. He's just saying, just take one step to believe in me and lean in towards me. Not to take shame as myself, to realize I made a mistake, I tripped up. Now it's time for me to get up and lean into the Father. Take one small measure, one small measure of faith, and he will be there to make my path straight again. Just because chaos hits and you're underwater does not mean the promise is lost. In Joshua 3, this is an example that Pastor Joshua gave me, Joshua 3. He was thinking about the Israelites. Remember, they were right there in the promised land, and they questioned the promise. And then they had to roam the desert for 40 years. And then they get back, and they're spying on the land, and really almost questioned again and had to walk the desert again. But then God says to Joshua, take the priest, take the ark, go up to the Jordan and take one step into the Jordan and watch what I do. And they put one step into the water, the waters part. And they were to walk on dry land. All we have to do is take that one step. Just like Abraham. God told Abraham that he would be a blessing, but he told him to get up and go this way. And he had to trust to believe in the words spoken into his life. And here's the deal, church. We We don't just get to watch. We don't just get to watch God move, but we get to be a part of his move in our lives. It's in our going that he is making me. And if, But if we know where he's taking us, then there would be no faith required. If Abraham knew all the things that he was going to experience in his life, would he have taken that first step? But he had to trust and believe in the God that had all this promise set up before him. He had to trust in taking that one step. Today, we might have to take a risk to take in the midst of our chaos to get up and take a step. Because it's in the chaos where we'll find our true peace. Because it's in the chaos, it's in the walking with God that he is making me the man, the person that he's called us to be. Remember, Joshua called, this is our sanctification. And then in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, says this. Joshua talked about this last week. We are destroying speculations with every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking up every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, we have to take your thoughts captive. You have to take your thoughts captive. If you're going to be able to get up, remove, step away from shame, and take a step with God, we're going to have to take our thoughts captive. Because I remember at Fun Valley, when the kids were asking me to go float the river, I was like, like I said, I don't want to because the water's cold and I'm probably going to fall in it. But y'all know how it is. But we have to, so many times like when you're at the swimming pool, and you go and touch the water, and you're like, ooh, that's cold. And then you take 30 minutes to actually finally make your way into the pool. And then once you get into it, you get used to it, then you start having fun with your kids, right? And you just wish I would have jumped into it. 
So finally, I had to change my mind. I had to go get into the river with my children. And then what happens? Chaos hit, and I'm upside down. And then I wanted to be like, I told you so. I told you. I didn't want to do this. Sometimes we can expect chaos. And I knew this was going to happen. It was their fault. (laughs) And dad laughed the whole time. But the Bible is full of people who need miracles and a God who answers with instructions. We need to change our mindset because we are always praying to God, God, I need a miracle. And he says, okay, do this. Then right. No, I don't want to do that. I want you to do this. A lot of us miss out on miracles because we don't like the instructions. A lot of us miss out on answered prayers because we don't like what God is telling us to do. So we need to change our perspective to capture those thoughts and find the ones of truth. Like Joshua said, where do you define truth? Are you defining truth of the world or are you getting into the word to lead you and to shape, to sanctify you and to lead you into a new way? I know you guys have heard of the pain cycle in your marriage. If you go to any type of marriage retreat or anything or marriage counseling, that's where I first heard it. My wife and I, we have this pain cycle. Whenever you do this, I feel this and then I act this way, right? Well, that's not just a marriage thing. This is a life thing, okay? So whenever I feel pain, like whenever I'm, feeling, when I'm in chaos, when chaos hits, whenever I feel pain, which is not actually pain, but more of feeling not in peace, right? When I don't feel like I'm in peace, when I'm in chaos, what do you feel? For me, for me, I feel very unworthy. I get very insecure. I feel like everything is unstable in my life. I start questioning everything about my faith, my foundation in Christ. I feel totally vulnerable. So what do I normally do? Well, for me, I'll take control. For you, you might check out. But for me, whenever I feel out of control, I'm going to take more control in, right? Especially if it's the finances. I'm like, no one's eating good this week. You're eating bread and peanut butter and water. We're not spending a thing, right? And then we homeschool, and if there's a problem with my kids, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go get this book. You're going to read this book. You're going to do devotion. You're going to write a report. Right? I just take, and when you go to your work, you look at your to-do list, and then you bring it all in. I'm, nothing's getting done, so I'm going to do it. I take full control right? because I feel chaotic, so I'm going to bring it all in. Maybe you do the same, or maybe you just check out. Uh, someone else can deal with it. That's how I feel whenever I'm in my pain cycle, when I'm in amongst chaos. But in peace, this doesn't feel right to me. When I'm in chaos, to try to experience peace, changing my mindset, what I have to do is tell myself that God is in control and that I'm in his plan. That in this peace, as I sit with the Father, as he wraps his arms around me and saying that I am perfect in him. You have to begin to speak that into your life. Just like what God did at the very beginning, in the midst of chaos, he spoke into the chaos and it became in order. We have to begin to learn to be able, when when chaos hits, when we're underneath the water, that we have to speak into the chaos, speak truth into the chaos. I remember last year, a woman was, I was at the hospital, and this lady came in. There was a dramatic experience in her life, and the loved one was lost. And as she was walking from one person, one person from into the room to the doctor, I remember her hearing her speaking God's truth out loud, but into her life. 
She was speaking truth. Man, it totally was an example for me. So take a deep breath and rest in the Lord. Because in chaos, here's the deal. In chaos, I'm prepared to feel isolation. In my pain, I'm prepared to feel betrayed, to feel betrayed, betrayed, sorry, to feel lies in my pain cycle. I'm prepared to feel that. But I have to change my mindset to speak into it so that in, in the midst of the chaos, I can still experience peace by being prepared to feel his love and to believe that he is with me and that he is making my foundation strong. And whenever we do that, he will use our story in the midst of the chaos. So then we'll go from the upside down to the upside to the down. (laughs) I know it's a play on words, but it it sounded right. Okay, we go from the upside down to the upside to the down. Let me explain. I was upside down in that river. It was freezing. After that, I was already in the water, and I was completely numb to the water. The rest of the rafting trip was amazing. If we would go from here to here, I'd just jump out of the water and move the raft. I'd jump back in. We would go down this little drop-off, and it was so much fun. I loved it. And then the next day, little Scarlett, my five-year-old, four-year-old, she's about to turn five, she's, she wanted to go. And, of course, wife was like, hmm. <laughs> Not after what happened to you and Jude, but we found a life jacket. And I'm like, no, I got it. That's no big deal. And there's actually a video of me. We, we're in the rest. As soon as we get in, I jumped on it like I was a bull rider. I started riding the tube, and I was like, I'm getting in this water. It's going to be fun. And then we get to that rock, and guess what I did? I just jumped out of the water and started moving, moving the tube. Because guess what? You know, the water only came up to here. <laughs> Usually that's how our chaos is, right, church? <laughs> we feel like we're upside down. I hit the rock, and my feet were still out of the water. I just had to stand up. <laughs> How many times do we see that in our lives? That chaos, it all, if we looked at it, the view that God sees it, he's just saying, just stand up. Just get up, my child. Change your perspective because it's not that deep. And guess what? It's gonna, I'm going to make you into something great. Because that next day when Scarlett wanted to go down, I was out in and out of the tube, in the water. I was redirecting us. And another story about this, and I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it more next week, is there was another time Jude and I were in the canoe. And we were going down the river, coming up to that same darn rock that I don't like. And there's a little small kid there who I didn't know. And he's something happened to his tube. And he fell out. He's drenched in water. And he's crying. He's screaming. And he's holding on to that rock, trying to find a foundation because he feels the current. And so automatically, then I jumped out of the canoe, went over there, grabbed the kid, put him in the canoe, went back over to the side of the river and gave him to his parents. God will cause chaos in our life. It might happen, but guess what? He's, we're going to learn from it. And not only can we get better next time and expect it when it's coming, we can help others out of the chaos into the place, that, into strong foundation where God's called them to be. Amen, church? Let me show the picture of Scarlet afterwards. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> we, this is like the big kind of little drop off. It looks small in that picture, but to the right, it's a little bit more extreme, okay? <laughs> Water's moving fast. <laughs> when you're in it, it's scary. But we, we went down, and I was like, yes! And then she looked over at me, and then she put up her hands and started screaming because she saw her father doing the same thing, so she was excited. It was fun. Oh, I got to wrap up. So all that for this. The reason why for all this, 
for getting up, for capturing your thoughts, for spiritual disciplines. Why? Because we need to take a moment and define what love is. And I love Pastor Josh helping me out with this. He has this image. I'm going to try to explain it to you. There's many scriptures in the New Testament and the Old Testament talking about love, but we chose the most simplest one. If you want to get more depth on this, ask myself or Pastor Joshua afterwards. We'll get you some information on it. But 1 Corinthians 13, 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. Everybody hears this. This is mainly always read at weddings, right? Love is this, patient, kind, all the good things, right? What you want to hear in a a wedding. It's it's good. (laughs) But in verse 7, it says this. It is always patient. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseverance. The e, that's NIV. The, it says he, it always protects. In the ESV, it says it bears all things. And the New American Standard Bible says this, it endures all things. And then in the Greek word protect means, Joshua, I meant to ask you to read, say this word. I'm going to try to say it. It's called CGI or CGI. Stegii? It's close? All right. You can write it down. It's right up there. (laughs) But it means to cover up. To cover up. So Josh said, he said, many years ago when I was studying this with other men and other theologians, this is the image I got of what love is. Imagine a, a, a person and you see the backside of them and they're looking over this valley. And in their valley is their family. For me, it's up. I'm standing over there, and I see my wife, my children. I see my mom, my dad, my sister, her husband, her kids, all my really close friends. For me, I see you, Harvest Connection, and I'm standing there. And my job to love is to. I'm praying a prayer and standing on behalf of you to protect you, to protect. And everything that's going to come into this valley of my, my tribe, this is my tribe, I'm praying for protection over you. I'm praying that I'm going to bear all things. Anything, nothing's going to come to you. It's going to, I'm going to block it. I'm here to protect. And I'm going to endure all things in hopes to protect the ones who I love. True love is standing in the gap in protection of my tribe. I'm going to cover up a prayer of love and protection of my tribe. So I ask you, what does your tribe look like? In a moment that I was flipped upside down in the water, I could have real easily chose to stay in that moment of shame, of guilt, or not even guilt, but shame, and to say, woe is me, I am hurt, come help me, right? But instead, I have to remember what my job is, and what my job is to stand in the gap for my tribe a protection of true love is prayer of protection, of love, of trust. It says perseverance. To stand in the gap, even in the midst of chaos, I will get up and protect my tribe. So I had to stand against the currents of this world and get up. I had to change my perspective and get a new one. And I had to take a step and lean into the God to give me strength. And you hear the scripture says, taking up your cross daily. This brings a whole new perspective to me because taking up your cross daily is not just for you, but it's also for those you love. It's my responsibility to lead my children into the spiritual disciplines of life, to be able to encourage them to get up to those 
anyone else that might be around me that's flipped upside down to encourage them to get back up, to get them on solid ground because they are my tribe. I love them. And in all of the world and all the times, it says, you were made for such a time as this. In the midst of all the chaos of the world right now, church, and you question everything, God has you here now. And he's, and he's telling this over your children as well, that you were made for such a time as this. I ask if you stand up with me and if the altar team would come forward. My challenge for all of us to, this week is this, is to embrace the chaos as your story, to embrace it. And he is to understand that he is creating a making me space. Change your perspective and know that he is creating a making me space. So get up, take the step, and watch the waters part. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, in the midst of chaos, when we feel like we're upside down, help us to change our perspective, to capture the thoughts, to get up. And then, Lord Jesus, help us to lean in towards you. Help us to have ears to hear your voice, to give us eyes to see the next step, knowing that I don't have to take the 99. I just got to take the one, and then you will show the next step as I begin to trust in you, God. Help us this week to see the ones that we love, to identify the ones that are our tribe, the ones that we were called to protect, the ones that we're called to love, to bear all things, to endure all things, to cover up with love so that we have a mission set before us. So then we'll see any other chaos doesn't seem as big, that the waters don't seem as deep, that easily I'm able to get up so then I can teach them. Lord, thank you for your love. And it's your name we pray all these things. Amen.